0: Well, last week we started to look at the first two verses of 1 Timothy, uh, but two verses was just too much for one sermon, so we really just got through verse 1, but today we're going to finish walking through uh, verses 1 and 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. And to start, we're going to read these verses together once again. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, carried along by the Holy Spirit, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior... And of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And you may be seated. Well, the overarching idea uh, that we should hear in these first two verses is To receive the message that God wants to give you. Receive the message God wants to give you. Uh, In this passage, God tells us the author of this message, whom we should listen to. He shows us the recipient of this letter, whom he wants us to identify with. And he shows us his own character, which we should trust. And all of this is reason for us to receive The message God wants to give us. And uh, as I said last week, I want us to see three attributes of the message of 1 Timothy in these verses. We looked at the first attribute last week. Uh, The message that God wants to give you in 1 Timothy is, first of all, a message by God's authority. A message by God's authority. The very first words of 1 Timothy are Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus. And last week, we looked at uh, various objections to Paul being the author of this letter, and we saw how those objections just fall apart under closer examination. Uh, Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus, was, in fact, the author of this letter. And and if Paul is not the author of 1 Timothy, the whole letter falls apart. Because if you can deny the authorship of Scripture— You can deny the authority of Scripture. And if you can deny the authority of Scripture, you don't have to listen to it. You don't have to believe that what it says is true, and you don't have to obey what it tells you to do. But as we saw last week, Paul's authorship is so important, especially because of what he says in the rest of verse 1, that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by command Of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. God, our Savior, commanded that Paul would be an apostle, and that apostle wrote this book. Christ Jesus, our hope, commanded that Paul would be an apostle, and that apostle wrote this book. So the authority of 1 Timothy, this letter, is not ultimately the authority of Paul. The authority of 1 Timothy is ultimately the authority of God. This is why we can be absolutely confident in the truthfulness and the reliability of this letter. You should receive the uh, message of 1 Timothy as a message that God wants to give you, because it is a message by God's authority. For more on that, you can go back and, um, and listen to last week's sermon as we looked at that Uh, idea in detail of this being a message by God's authority, but today we're going to consider two more attributes of the message of 1 Timothy. Number two, the message that God wants to give you in 1 Timothy is a message for God's people. A message for God's people. In verse two, we learn that the recipient of this letter was a man named Timothy. Timothy is introduced in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16. Paul uh, went on various missionary journeys, and right after he embarked on his second missionary journey, he came to a town called Lystra, and there in Lystra was a disciple named Timothy. Now, Paul had visited Lystra on his first missionary journey, and the book of Acts tells us that they made many disciples there, so it's very likely that Timothy was converted under Paul's ministry on that first missionary journey. And um, this is really confirmed by the fact that here in 1 Timothy 1-2, Paul refers to Timothy as my true child in the faith. Uh, When that term true child is used literally, it means a, a legitimate child born within wedlock. But here Paul uses the term figuratively to refer to Timothy being his genuine spiritual child. So it seems that Paul was the the first to share the gospel with Timothy, and he won him to Christ. When Paul came to Lystra that second time, uh, he asked Timothy to join him on his missionary journey. And throughout the the rest of Acts, we see Timothy serving as Paul's ministry partner. Timothy, in fact, became such a close associate that Paul mentions him by name in eight of his other letters besides 1 and 2 Timothy, which were written to him. Now, um, that's some of the background that we can learn about Timothy from outside of these letters, but we can also learn several things about Timothy in the letters of 1 and 2 Timothy. For example, we learn about Timothy's weaknesses. In 1 Timothy 4.12, we learn that Timothy was young. We don't know exactly how young he was, but young enough that he could have been looked down upon because of how young he was. Among Timothy's weaknesses, uh, Timothy struggled physically. In 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul refers to Timothy's frequent stomach ailments. Um, and it also seems that Timothy struggled with being timid or fearful whether that was because of his age or his health problems or for some other reason. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And that's just one example of how underlying so much of what Paul says to Timothy— Seems to be this desire to steal his spine. And given his weaknesses, it's no wonder Timothy was in need of a lot of encouragement. But in addition to his weaknesses, in the text of these letters, we can also learn about Timothy's responsibilities. Uh, in 1 Timothy 1 3, we learn that Paul stationed Timothy in Ephesus, especially in order to correct false doctrine. And then in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, we see that Paul charges Timothy to fight for sound doctrine. Throughout these letters, what's clear is that Timothy was given uh, authoritative teaching from Paul, and he was to take that authoritative teaching and pass it on to the church in Ephesus. He was supposed to communicate authoritative teaching to these people. He was to tell them not only uh, what to believe and not to believe, but even how to behave. And so in light of that teaching responsibility, it's important that we understand that while this letter is addressed to Timothy, it is a message for the whole church in Ephesus. This letter was personal, but it was never meant to be private. It's clear throughout 1 Timothy that Paul intended the whole congregation to hear this message. And we can see that um, in, in a number of places. For instance, Paul clearly had the whole church in mind. Uh, In the very end of this letter, in 1 Timothy 6, 21, the very last words, he says, Grace be with you. And that word you in the Greek is plural. We could uh, translate that into Texan and say, Grace be with y'all. He has multiple people in mind as he is writing the text of this letter. He wrote to Timothy, but he gave him a message that he intended to be passed on through Timothy to the church. And and this helps us see more of the importance of that phrase, my true child in the faith, here in verse 2. Those words, my true child in the faith, are not written just for Timothy. They're, They're not just a term of endearment meant to remind Timothy of the bond that he and Paul shared. These words were meant to be heard by the congregation. So just think about it. If Timothy followed through, on what Paul told him to do in this letter. He was about to be giving giving a lot of instructions. He was going to be rebuking false teachers. He was going to be telling people what to do and what not to do. Uh, He was going to be giving direction to elders and deacons, presumably some of whom were older than Timothy. So it would have been really important for the congregation to hear Paul refer to Timothy as his true child they would have been reminded that this guy timothy who's telling them all these things wasn't just exercising the authority of timothy he was exercising authority extended to him by paul an apostle of christ jesus by command of god in in scripture we see that an apostle was an authorized representative sent out with the authority of another paul was an apostle of christ jesus And we could almost think of Timothy as an apostle of Paul. In all of this, what I want us to see is that this letter addressed to Timothy was a letter that the whole church in Ephesus needed to hear. But as we read 1 Timothy, it's important that we remember we're not just reading someone else's mail. Paul does give personal instructions to Timothy, he does address the historical situation of the church in Ephesus, but these are just specific applications of the absolute timeless truth of God. The message of 1 Timothy is a message for all churches in every place until the time that Jesus returns. Uh, Just consider what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Look down at those verses with me. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul wrote from the perspective, not just of the particular needs of the moment, Paul wrote from the perspective of what should be true about the church of God in general. Uh, He offers authoritative truth and universal principles, and then he applies these truths to Timothy's needs and to the church's situation, but behind those applications are truths that we need to hear. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we need to hear this as a message for God's people, and it means that when we hear Paul speak to Timothy in this letter, we can't say, well, that was for Timothy. Well, not for me we can't say well yeah that was true at that time and in that culture well, that's not true for me and on the one hand that means that the gospel promises in first timothy are for us today uh, look with me at first timothy 2 5 and 6 for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The promise that Christ is a mediator, a one who stands between us and God and gives us peace with God and represents us before God, that promise is for us, not just for Timothy, not just for the Ephesians. The promise that Christ is a ransom, that he paid the price for our sins so that there's nothing left for us to pay, that promise is for us. Not just the church in Ephesus. Or consider 1 Timothy 6. Flip over there with me. 1 Timothy 6 and verses 13 through 15. Paul says, I I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. And of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. And then catch this, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. What we have here is the promise and expectation that Jesus is going to return. Well, the promise of Jesus' return isn't just for Timothy. It's not just for the church in Ephesus. It's, it's for us. We can count on that message. We can take that to the bank. The gospel promises in 1 Timothy are for us. But, of course, this also means that the instructions of 1 Timothy are for us today, even the ones that are hard to accept. So, for example, when Paul says in 1 Timothy one ten that men who practice homosexuality are sinners, we need to understand that that was not just for the past or that culture. That's still true today. When Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, we need to understand that was not just for that culture or that time. It's true for us today. When Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, We need to understand that that was not just for those widows at that church and those families. That's true for us today. The message of 1 Timothy is a message not just for Timothy, not just for the church in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy, we have a message for God's people, all of God's people, all churches in all places for all times. So then, receive the message that God wants to give you in 1 Timothy. Well, let's consider one last attribute of 1 Timothy from this passage. Uh, The message God wants to give you in 1 Timothy is first a, a message by God's authority. Second, it's a message for God's people. And we see in that that it's not just from God, it's also for us. And so then third and finally, it is a message from God's generosity. The message of 1 Timothy is a message from God's generosity. So far, Paul has identified himself as the author of this letter. He has identified Timothy as the recipient of this letter. So we've got that straightened. What is this author going to say to this recipient? Well, we see his first words at the end of verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Most letters written at this time and in this culture began with a similar type of greeting to this. And because of that, it it would be easy to overlook these words as just kind of what you're supposed to say in a letter. But it was just kind of an empty convention. But when Paul and the other apostles got to writing letters, what they did is they they took that kind of conventional letter template, if you will, and and they made it distinctly Christian. And so we should not miss just how profound these words are. And, And notice first that grace, mercy, and peace are the starting point of Paul's letter to Timothy. Now, Paul's going to have a lot more to say to Timothy. He's going to give him commands and instructions. He's going to call him to a difficult ministry that's going to require courage. He's going to emphasize Timothy's responsibility to work hard, to train himself, to be diligent in ministry. But before he gets to all that, he reminds Timothy of what is his in Christ Jesus. Grace, mercy, and peace. Paul does not call Timothy to his difficult work in order to earn the blessings of God. Paul calls Timothy to work in response to the blessings of God that already belong to him in Christ. He calls him to work even in the strength that comes from the blessings that are his in Christ. The good news of the gospel is that grace, mercy, and peace are the starting point for us as well. Now, Jesus calls us to follow him in a life of obedience, uh, to love God, to love neighbor. I mean, just in 1 Timothy, we see our responsibility to uphold sound doctrine, to worship the way that God wants us to, to organize ourselves as a church the way God would have us, to take responsibility for our families, to manage money for God's glory. But before we get to all of that, we need to remember that grace, mercy, and peace are ours in Christ Jesus. The gospel is not due. The gospel is done. We don't obey for God's blessings. We work from God's blessings. So then, what are these blessings that Paul writes about? First, grace. God's grace is his kindness to those who do not deserve it. God's grace is his kindness to those who do not deserve it. More often than not, when Paul is talking about grace, he's talking about God's grace in saving sinners. Turn with me to another one of the pastoral epistles, Titus. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus, and look at chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Titus 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. We are undeserving sinners. We have rebelled against God. We have rejected Jesus as king. We deserve to receive the penalty of sin. Yet, when we turn from sin and trust in Jesus, God does not give us the wrath that we deserve. Instead, he saves us from that wrath and he gives us blessings we don't deserve we deserve to remain under the power of sin yet when we turn from sin and trust in jesus god frees us from our slavery to sin and his grace as these verses show us his grace trains us to say no to sin and say yes to godliness we deserve to be burdened by the presence of sin all around us. Yet, when we turn from sin and trust in Jesus, God gives us a blessed hope described here in Titus 2. When Jesus returns, we will be made sinless, and he will bring us into a sinless world. That is God's amazing, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. His Kindness to those who do not deserve it. Second, we see here in 1 Timothy 2, mercy. Mercy. Mercy is God's kindness to those in desperate need. Mercy is God's kindness to those in desperate need. If uh, if you're still in Titus, look down at chapter Three of Titus. In this passage, Paul describes our desperate need and God's response of mercy. Look at verses 3 through 5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. On our own, we are in a desperate situation. We are foolish and ignorant. We're deceived. We're led astray. We don't know what's good for us. On our own, we're slaves to our own desires. We're doomed to disobey. We live a life of inescapable hatred. But God is rich in mercy. And when we were desperate and needy when we had no righteousness in and of ourselves when we were stuck in our sin and when we were too foolish to even know how desperate we were god looked upon our helpless state and he showed us goodness and loving kindness he washed us of our filth and he transformed us and made us new by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's mercy. God's kindness to those in a desperate condition. And then third in 1 Timothy 2, we see peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Peace is the opposite of war. Uh, Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. First Timothy is a letter written for the church in Ephesus, and Ephesians is a letter written for the church in Ephesus. On our own, we are enemies of God, but when Jesus saves us, he reconciles us to God. Look at verses 13 through 18 of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near And peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Apart from Christ, we are far from God. Our sin separates us from God. There's hostility between us and God. And not only that, we are divided from each other. We experience division across lines of ethnicity and religion and any other number of ways that we've figured out how to divide ourselves. So there's hostility not only between us and God, but also between one another. But when we turn from sin and trust in Jesus, Jesus becomes our peace. He brings us, those of us who are far from God, he brings us near to God. He reconciles us to God. He gives us access to God the Father through the Holy Spirit. He gives us peace with God where once there was war and hostility. He also brings peace among those, between those who trust in Jesus. He reconciles us to one another. He makes us one. He destroys the hostility between us. That's peace. Peace with God, peace with one another. Having heard this good news of grace, mercy, and peace that is in Christ Jesus, how do you need to respond to this good news? How do you need to respond to the good news about the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord? Maybe you need to trust in Jesus for the first time. Maybe as we have looked at grace, mercy, and peace, and thought about our need and our desperate condition, you realize you're a sinner. And you deserve the wrath of God and you realize that you need God's grace. You need God's help, and you don't deserve it, but you need it to forgive you of your sin. Maybe you realize that you are, in fact, in a desperate situation, unable to get yourself out of it, and you understand that you need the mercy of God to transform you and rescue you. Maybe you realize you're an enemy of God. And you need Jesus to be your peace and reconcile you to God. If that's you, Jesus has grace, mercy, and peace for you in abundance. So confess to God that you have sinned against him and trust in Jesus to save you from your sin. Receive God as your Father. Receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. And you will receive His grace and mercy and peace. Maybe you do know Jesus as your Lord, but you are in need of more of the grace and mercy and peace that are yours in Christ Jesus Maybe you're in need of grace in your struggle with sin. You know, if we're not careful, we can get in our own way of receiving God's grace. If you are unwilling to admit that you have sinned, you're keeping yourself from the grace of God. If you know you're struggling with sin, but you think you can handle it on your own, you're keeping yourself from the grace of God. If you're aware of the concept of grace, but you don't actually believe that God has grace for you again, you're keeping yourself from the grace that God wants to give you. You need to know God wants To give you grace. His grace has not run out. God has abundant, overflowing, never-ending grace purchased by Jesus at the cross. God wants you to be able to say like Paul in 1 Timothy 1.14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So if you're struggling with sin today, as a Christian, let me just encourage you. First of all, stop pretending like you don't have a problem. Because God never fails to give grace to those who trust in Jesus, we don't have to be afraid to confess our sins to God. We don't have to fear that condemnation is waiting for us on the other side of confession. In Christ, we can be confident that on the other side of confession is nothing but grace. So confess your sin to God and ask God to give you his grace, to forgive you. And not only that, ask God to give you grace, to train you, to say no to sin. And believe that God will give it to you. Trust That God really will give you grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Maybe today you need mercy in a difficult situation. No doubt Timothy needed mercy in this way. He experienced difficulty physically, difficulty spiritually, and he had a difficult task before him. He was in need. And what a gift to him to open up a letter and to see that word, mercy. You may be suffering today. For any number of reasons. You may be suffering because of the brokenness that exists in creation because of sin. Sickness, death, pain, sorrow. You may be suffering today because of the sin of another person. A straying child. Someone who has hurt you. And you need to know God sees you. In that desperate situation. And he has mercy for you he has mercy for you in your suffering james 5 11 says behold we consider those blessed who remain steadfast you have heard of the steadfastness of job and you have seen the purpose of the lord how the lord is compassionate and merciful In your steadfastness, in your suffering, in your desperate situation, you need to know the Lord is and never stops being compassionate and merciful. So in your suffering, put your hope in the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies who comforts us in our affliction. Maybe today you need peace between you and a brother or sister in Christ. You know, it's important uh, that Paul would start this letter to Timothy with this word peace. Paul's about to tell Timothy to correct some teachers who are teaching error within the church. Uh, but this word peace helps us understand that Paul was not calling for a theological smackdown. He wasn't saying, hey, Timothy, go make some enemies. In fact, one reason the false teachers needed to be corrected, according to 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, is that they had an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce, among other things, dissension and constant friction among people. So uh, Timothy needed to have some hard conversations, but not to disturb the peace but to restore the peace within the church. What we learn in Scripture, what we learn even from 1 Timothy 1-2, is that Christ has given his people peace, not just between us and God, but between, us, uh, between one another. God has given us that peace. It's a reality that he has established. It's, he's already given it to us. The problem is we just don't always live like he has made peace between us. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 3, again to this same church, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's ours in Christ, it's ours in the Holy Spirit. It's our job not to create it, but to maintain it. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't always do what we ought to to maintain that peace. So if you find yourself in an unreconciled relationship today, ask God for peace. He has peace that he wants to give you. Ask God, and then as Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, in a relationship between two people, both sides have to maintain that unity in order to truly have peace together, and that which depends on another person is not your responsibility. But God has called you to be faithful, to do everything that you can do to live peaceably with all. And and I just want to say, if you're kind of allergic to conflict, I want you to see in this example that having those hard but necessary conversations is not meant to disturb peace, it's meant to restore peace. Because of the finished work of Christ, peace is actually possible. He has peace for us. So in that hope, ask the God of peace to give you peace. The message of First Timothy is from God, and it is for us. But what we see in this second part of verse 2 is that this message does not come from a God who needs something from us. This message comes from a God who delights to lavish grace, mercy, and peace upon his people. The message of First Timothy is a message from God's generosity. So receive the message that God wants to give to you. I hope that These past two weeks have convinced you that these two verses uh, of these first two opening verses of 1 Timothy are much more than just the names on the outside of the envelope. These verses truly are foundational for understanding the whole letter. We need to read 1 Timothy as a message by God's authority. If an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God, wrote this, we need not only to hear it, We need to believe it and obey it. We need to read 1 Timothy as a message for God's people. We we aren't just examining an interesting artifact of history in this study. This is a message for our church and for us as individual Christians living in our culture today. We also need to read 1 Timothy again as a message from God's generosity God does not give us this letter as a list of demands to earn his favor. We don't obey for God's blessings. We obey from God's blessings. And God does not give us this letter as a manual of instructions that we are called to obey in our own strength. He calls us to live in response to the blessings that are already ours in Christ and in the strength that comes from those blessings. The message of 1 Timothy is a message that we need to hear. So I pray that in these coming weeks, you will receive the message that God wants to give you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I thank you specifically for this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, this letter that you have given to us. Lord, I thank you the instructions that reveal your character, that reveal the truth of the gospel, uh, that reveal your will for us as individuals, your will for us as a church. Lord, we thank you. And so, Lord, I I pray that we would receive this message that you want to give us, Lord, that, that we would embrace the promises, and Lord, that we would submit to the instructions, even when it's hard. I pray that we would do so in the hope that you are a God of grace and mercy and peace. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.